What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, episode 102, I believe. We are uh, over the century mark. I'm your host, Garrett Hayden. And, you know, uh, usually it's kind of, you know, dog days of, of summer uh, for, for sports right now. You know, if you think about, um, you know, baseball, really kind of the main sport, but you know, that's most years, to be perfectly honest. But it uh, really seems like there's, you know, plenty of stuff going on right now. You know, I think most years it's, you know, this is the time of year where people are really struggling for content. But, you know, I think that this year, because of the pandemic, you know, or, you know, whatever you want to call this time period, um, you know, Summer League gets, gets pushed a little bit. So you have NBA Summer League going on. You have you know, NFL preseason just starting and, you know, baseball. So, you know, if we're, you know, Boston-based podcasters, you know, plenty of stuff going on to avoid the uh, poor play of the Red Sox. Um, and you can even throw the revolution in there too. So um, before, you know, I really get off into, you know, a ramble with whatever we're, we're talking about today, um, as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook. You can follow both of those pages if you'd like. Um, you can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So uh, let's just get going. You know, it's uh, very exciting to see football back last night. That's where we're going to start today. So first, you know, game with fans at Gillette Stadium in over 500 days, you know, which is pretty much about a year and a half, give or take. Um, so, you know, watching that game last night, you know, I'm coming to the realization that, you know, holy cow, the last time the Patriots had fans in the building was Tom Brady's last game. You know, really, I came to that crazy realization that, you know, <laughs> the whole world changed when Tom Brady left the Patriots. <laughs> Um, but it's just like wild to think that, you know, to, to think about that, that that was the last time they had fans in the building and the Titans beat the Patriots in the, in the wild card game. Um, but, you know, enough about the past. I think everyone just was so excited to be in the building, you know, watch this team that, you know, has built up a lot of excitement over the last couple months. And I know that it's a preseason game. I know that, you know, the results don't really matter. They honestly don't even matter to, you know, the coaching staff, I think, to a certain extent. Um, you know, it's just about getting guys experience in game situations, you know, and I think that that kind of was the biggest thing for some guys last night. But I will just say, just having fans in the building, having that buzz, and I think that there's a certain, you know, buzz and excitement about this team, you know, considering the amount of talent that they brought in in the off season, but also in the draft, you know, I think that you have brought in a draft class that I think has the potential to really be a huge impactful class, you know, down the line. When you start with the first pick with Mac Jones, who, you know, very clearly is the future of this team. You look at a guy like Ramondre Stevenson, who had an unbelievable game last night. Um, we'll get into the statistics in a moment, but you know, you have a guy like Ronnie Perkins who, you know, statistically may not have had a great game last night, you know, may not have had 
any sacks or I'm not sure if he had any tackles, but, you know, made an impact defensively. And I think, you know, you're looking at a rookie class that I think has the potential to be, you know, really impactful for, you know, this season and, and beyond. So, you know, just getting back to the, the fans and the buzz, you know, it just was great to see excitement, you know, around this team. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's warranted, you know, the amount of money that they spent in free agency, the type of players that they brought in in the draft, you know, I think that it's something that should get people excited. So um, I think that overall it was a good showing. You know, I don't think that there was really anything that from that game last night that made you say, okay, you know, this is going to be a major issue. You know, I think that there were a couple guys that did all right, but I don't think there was any glaring thing that you looked at last night and said, oh boy, okay, they're really going to have an issue here. So I think just from an offensive standpoint, um, you know, I thought that they put together a couple of good drives. You know, Cam Newton's second series uh, was pretty solid. You know, had, I think had four completions on that, on that second drive. So he only played two series, um, two series or so um, in the first quarter. You know, obviously three and out in that first drive. You know, Chase Young gets right into the backfield. And, you know, I think that, you know, if there was an area of concern last night, it may have been, you know, the offensive line in terms of the couple times that the, that Washington, you know, got to the quarterback. You know, Chase Young on that first drive, you know, I think that they got to Jones a couple times. Um, you know, I think that I'm curious about a guy like Isaiah Wynn, who, you know, the Bruins, or <laughs> the Patriots had at left tackle last night, you know, and Chase Young just kind of breezed by him. So, you know, I don't know if that's a factor of Chase Young just being just an athletic, just an athletic specimen, you know, for lack of a better term. You know, the guy is one of the most talented players I've ever seen, you know, and this guy just completed his rookie year last year. So, you know, I don't know if that's more of a, if that's, you know, more of a knock on win or is it more a guy that's just supremely talented and can make anyone look silly. Um, so I think, you know, Cam did all right. You know, I think that completed a couple passes, you know, didn't do anything that really jumped out at you, good or bad. You know, I don't think had any bad plays that made you, you know, roll your eyes. But I also don't think he made any plays that made you go, wow, okay, you know, this guy is really, you know, figured it out and he's going to be a lot better this year. You know, I would say the same thing about Mac Jones. You know, I think that obviously played a lot more than Cam Newton, you know, attempted a lot more passes. You know, he attempted 19 passes. He was the guy that played, you know, the, the majority of the game. So, you know, again, didn't do anything to me that jumped out at me that said, okay, this guy absolutely should be the starter. He did do some good things. That's not to say he didn't. You know, I thought that his decision-making was really good. I thought that minus maybe the one throw where it seemed like he threw it low to Jakob Johnson for like a five- or six-yard gain on one of his first series, you know, threw it low, Johnson caught it. I mean, I really thought that of all the throws he made, they were good. You know, you think about that deep ball he throws to Wilkerson that almost got caught. You know, I thought that 
He made good throws. He was quick with his decision-making. And I think that was the biggest thing, that I think the Patriots, you know, their, their offensive system works really well when you have a quarterback back there that makes quick decisions and, you know, is not going to hold on to the ball for five or six seconds, someone that's going to, okay, if the play is to find a guy deep, you can't find him, you throw to the check down guy. And I thought that Mac Jones did that really well a couple times last night. Um, and I also thought, you know, he didn't do anything that jumped out at you that like, okay, here's a here's a rookie play that, you know, he kind of made himself look silly. But, you know, he, he's a guy that just is really cool under pressure and, you know, I think really has a good command of the offense and has a good command of what the Patriots expect expect from him. So, you know, I think that there are some people that will tell you, oh, you know, Mac Jones definitely should be a starter based on last night. You know, he did a good job, completed a lot of short passes. You know, the quick, the quick hitters, you know, the, the underneath passes. I'll be very curious to see if they try to let him throw, throw deep a couple more times, maybe next week against Philadelphia. Um, but I thought that, you know, both guys were solid. You know, I didn't think that either one of them did anything that would tell you that, oh, this guy is, you know, winning the, winning the battle or not. You know, it's going to be something to watch, that's for sure. But I think that, you know, Bill Belichick has said, stated many times that Cam Newton's the starter. And I tend to believe that. I tend to believe that until he, you know, knock on wood, you know, doesn't suffer an injury. But if that happens, you know, I think Mac Jones would, 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 would usurp that role. You know, or Cam Newton just plays so poorly that it's impossible to overlook. Um, so I'm curious to see how the Patriots approach next week's game because, you know, you have three games in the preseason now, and typically it's the third preseason game, third of four, that kind of acts as a dress rehearsal for a real game. So I don't know if that means the Patriots will treat this week two game against the Philadelphia Eagles as kind of a a dress rehearsal. So that will be curious to see how they approach that. Um, I thought from a running from a running perspective, uh, Ramondre Stevenson obviously made a lot of headlines with his 91-yard touchdown in the last minute of the game. Uh, but I think that, you know, and it was something that Scott Zolek said on the, on the broadcast, was that, you know, you need... You know, running back is kind of a, a war of attrition position that, you know, you can have guys that go down with injuries all the time. And I kind of took that as meaning that you need as many healthy bodies at running back as you can get. So obviously, a guy like Damian Harris is going to be the starter. You know, I think we know that. Um, but it's important to have guys to spell him like Sony Michelle, you know, like Stevenson. So, you know, for some people that thought, or think that maybe Sony Michelle might have been traded, I think that there's value in keeping him around. I know the Patriots didn't pick up his fifth-year option pass this year, but I think that it's important to have as much depth at that position as you possibly can get. Um, but I just thought Stevenson was great. He was really good last night. I was glad to see that he got as many reps as he did. You know, had had 10 carries. You know, obviously the 127 yards is not something that you should expect from him in every game. And probably the 10 carries isn't something that you should expect every game from him. But I think he at least shows you that, 
here, here there's someone with ability in the Patriots. You know, at the moment, I think have four running backs that are guys that I think can be really solid players. You know, James White did what he did best last night on a couple screens. You know, you have Harris, who's a really good running back. You have Sony Michelle, who's had a good camp. You know, and you even forget about someone like J.J. Taylor, who the Patriots brought in last year as an undrafted free agent. Um, I absolutely think that there's a spot for him on the team. You know, whether that's kind of a third down back, kind of in the, in the mold of a James White, or do you use him as a punt and kick returner, you know, as kind of a small guy who, you know, can make plays with his feet and be really quick. You know, I liken him to possibly a guy like Deontay Harris who plays for the Saints, a guy who is just an unbelievable, an unbelievably fast guy who is just really good at returning kicks, punts, kicks, whatever, what have you. Um, I think that it would be interesting to see if the Patriots, you know, use him in a similar role like that. And you saw that he returned some kicks last night, you know, so I think that that's, he's someone to keep your eye on. He also, you know, had a, had a number of receptions last night at five catches was second on the team last night. Um, Christian Wilkerson, I think an undrafted free agent two years ago had six catches. So he led the way, you know, Patriots got receptions from pretty much everyone on the roster. Um, except for maybe Gunnar, Gunnar Olszewski, who had one target, did not have a catch. But everyone else, you know, that got in had a catch. Nelson Aguilar uh, was not available in this game. And then, you know, defensively, I thought the Patriots, you know, were really solid. You know, I thought that, um, you know, Perkins was a guy actually had more tackles than I thought he did. Um, so I think... You know, in terms of the rookies, Mac Jones obviously made an impact. You know, Perkins obviously did too. He was second on the team in tackles last night at six tackles. Um, did do a good job with QB pressure. I thought he looked good. Um, I thought Jawan Bentley looked really solid. You know, I think that, as I've said multiple times, he was a guy that I think got thrust into a role last year that may have been too much for him. But I think that to, I think it's better for him if you can simplify his role. You know, and something that they said on the broadcast is, you know, he's not as good, you know, going sideline to sideline. That's not really his strength, you know, lateral lateral moving. But I think you give him kind of a guy that can sometimes give you like a, a direct shot at the quarterback. You know, a guy that kind of, you want him going going north and south. You know, kind of like typically that's how you want a running back to and to be playing. So, you know, I think that it's good to see him making a little bit of an impact last night. Um, Patriots did have an interception. Juwan Williams off a deflection. I thought that that was a good play by the defense because, you know, they got to the quarterback. Montez got him to get rid of it way faster than he wanted to, you know, and there's Juwan Williams ready after the deflection. So, I thought it was it was a very solid effort by the Patriots last night. I really thought that, you know, they came to play. You know, no one looked out of place. And as I said again, you know, nothing last night that made you say, you know, wow, that's going to be a big issue. Or, wow, this person looks like they're, you know, not prepared for this. You know, I think that 
pretty much everyone on the roster had a solid game. That included Quinn Nordeen, who is the other rookie that made an impact last night. He made a couple of field goals. I said this to someone uh, last night, that the way that he was kicking made me think, made me think that Nick Folk uh, might be expendable. Um, but Nordeen is really solid, so it showed some range on a 50-yard field goal in the first half. Also had a 40-yarder. It is worth noting that he did miss an extra point. I know that, but, you know, I think that gives you... It gives you a, an, an added element if you can have a kicker that can, you know, hit field goals from deep. And not to say that Folk couldn't do that because he had a 50-yarder to win a game or in, a, in, in the season last year and had a really excellent year. But I think finding, you know, an undrafted kid who I think can be really solid, you know, is a, is a win for the Patriots. So, you know, I thought that he looked solid. So very curious to see what it looks like next week when the Patriots play the Eagles. I actually meant to say this at the beginning of the episode, but I will uh, be away next week, so I will not be uh, recording an episode next week. So uh, you guys will have to enjoy the Patriots game on your own and not be able to listen to my analysis. Um, So I think with having covered the Patriots game, I think it makes sense to uh, get to some other NFL notes. Um, You know, not really a lot going on. Um, There was another game last night, the Steelers and the Eagles, I think, played last night in the other preseason game. Um, Last night, the Jaguars trading uh, Pro Bowl linebacker Joe Schobert to the Steelers. So that's kind of a a good move for the Steelers. They can kind of uh, reinforce that linebacker position and try to, you know, become a better defensive team. You know, the Browns absolutely shredded them in the playoffs last year. So I think the Steelers are really looking for um, some impact players on defense, so that's a big trade for them. Um, so, as we've spent a good amount of time talking about the Patriots, I think it makes sense for us to move on, talk about the NBA, talk about the Celtics. And yes, they were somewhat active last week. Uh, the Celtics uh, were in negotiations with Dennis Schroeder for um, a number of days. They ended up signing him a few days ago giving him a one-year deal worth $5.9 million. So, you know, obviously many of us know that Dennis Schroeder uh, turned down a pretty lucrative offer from the Lakers uh, earlier in the season, uh, somewhere around four years for 80-something million. So, you know, obviously turned that down, believe that he could make, you know, more than that in, in free agency and, you know, a couple of, Weeks passed, and he he wasn't signed. And, you know, I think got to a point where most teams had used up their cap space and really were not willing to offer him or really able to offer him the contract that he thought he would. So, you know, I don't know if that's a mistake on his part. I don't know if that's a mistake on his agent's part. Did they misjudge the market? What have you. But anyway, you know, here come the Celtics looking to, you know, upgrade that guard position continuing, looking to continue to upgrade the guard position, um, sign him to a one-year deal. So 
initial reaction to this, I love it. You know, I think that anytime you have a player who, you know, and I know that, and I'll just preface this by saying, this is a double-edged sword. You know, you can have a player who, you know, comes into an offseason and says, okay, let's see how much I can get paid. You know, I really want to get paid. I want, you know, this amount of money. And, you know, it doesn't happen. And, you know, for and maybe is forced to signing a one-year deal and comes in with a chip on their shoulder. Like, okay, you know, no team in the NBA wanted to, wanted to sign me. Fine, I'll prove you wrong, and I'll put together another really good season. You know, he put together, Dennis Schroeder, put together a good season last year. So I think that's one part of it. You know, I think the, the other part of it, you know, could be that, you know, I, you know, wanted to make way more money. Now I'm making less, and... You know, I I don't like it, and be, the player becomes a problem. You know, I don't think that that's going to be a problem here, because I also think, you know, if you become an issue with a team that you sign a one-year kind of prove-it deal with, and you become an issue, I'm sorry, you're not going to get paid that next summer. So it's like, you know, Dennis really has no other options than to, you know, come in and work really hard and play really hard, you know. Maybe there are some people that have some trepidation that he might be a problem, but let me tell you, a guy who's signing a one-year deal worth $6 million when he, you know, probably could have made 80 to $100 million, you know, obviously he's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder. So I like that because I think the Celtics have brought in a couple of guys this offseason that have, you know, a chip on their shoulder and you know, are really good on-ball defenders. You know, bringing in a guy like Schroeder, you know, now gives you four really good defensive guards. You know, with Schroeder, with Marcus Smart, with Chris Dunn, with Josh Richardson. You know, those four guys, you know, maybe they're not, you know, unbelievable defenders other than Marcus Smart, but you put all four of those guys together on a team, you know, and that's going to be a really hard team to score against. So, you know, I applaud the Celtics for putting together kind of a good defensive backcourt like that. That is going to be really hard to play against. You're not going to want to play against the Celtics. You know, and already having a coach in Ime Udoka who, you know, really kind of prides himself on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and that's kind of the sense that a lot of us got in that introductory press conference. You know, saying things like, you know, we we have some dogs on this roster, you know, saying things like that, meaning that you have some guys who just are really kind of just really good hounds defensively. And so I think that's what the Celtics are trying to do here. And I think, you know, getting Dennis Schroeder for this price is pretty ridiculous. You know, when you think about it, when you think about the amount of money that he was looking to make and the Celtics come in and are able to, you know, sign him for, you know, far under what he probably could have made. Um, so, obviously, Truder played for the Lakers last season, averaged 15 points, just under six assists, which, you know, both career, both um, averages for points and assists are higher than his career numbers. Um, you know, is not a guy who's going to shoot the lights out. You know, his career is a career shooter just under 44%, you know, shoots about 
33% from three, you know, so not anything to write home about, but I think that the biggest thing for me, you know, other than his defense is the fact that Schroeder's an aggressive guy, an aggressive player that likes to get to the basket. Um, And I think, you know, that that works two ways that, you know, having him on the floor with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know, his aggressiveness can, you know, open up kind of scoring lanes for them by him being aggressive, going to the basket and, you know, creating for those two guys, whether it's giving them open looks for threes or, you know, driving to the basket and, you know, kind of getting the defense to focus on who has the ball and creating easy shots for those guys or whoever is on the floor with them. So, you know, I think that it, it he really is a player that is going to open up what they can do offensively. And I think it's going to be great to see, you know, and I think the Celtics need as many aggressive guys taking it to the basket as they can get. And I think that Schroeder is a, is a bit taller than, than Kemba Walker. And, you know, not that Kemba has an issue with being physical necessarily, but I think you have a guy like Dennis Schroeder who's going to go in and be really aggressive, taking it to the basket and, that is more of his skill set than, say, a Kemba who, you know, likes to pull up and shoot threes a lot more than taking it to the basket. And I think Schroeder's a guy who, you know, is not not the best shooter, but I think he recognizes that his skill is taking it to the basket. And I think the Celtics need to do more of that and need to get those free throw attempts up um, and be able to, you know, have guys on the floor that can create open shots for other guys. You know, and I think that clearly that's what they're after. They're after, you know, playing more kind of team basketball and less, you know, isolation. You know, and Ime has said it a couple times that he wants Jalen and Jason to kind of continue to be playmakers for other guys. So, you know, getting a guy like Dennis Schroeder for this price is, you know, I can't really see a negative in this, to be perfectly honest. You know, he's a guy that can score. He can give you someone who can average, you know, 13, 14, 15 points a game, you know, does he have the potential like Kemba to score 20 or 25 every game? You know, maybe not, but he's a guy that's going to be able to create for other players. So, you know, I like it. It gives the Celtics a lot of options for what they can do with the starting lineup. You know, I think that there's a possibility that you still see Marcus Smart, you know, running the offense with the first team and you see a lineup of, you know, Smart, Richardson, Brown, Tatum, and Robert Williams, you know, or you can go the route with, you know, starting Schroeder in the lineup and starting Richardson and bringing Marcus Smart off the bench. So in that scenario, starting Schroeder, Richardson, Brown, Tatum, and Robert Williams, um, you know, I think that there are positives to bringing Marcus off the bench, but there are positives to bringing Schroeder off the bench. Um, Because I think, you know, part of the Celtics, one of their biggest issues last year was scoring off the bench. And I think that there were times last year where Jalen and Jason, you know, both went to the bench and your thought process was, okay, where are the points going to come from? And so I think there could be added value in bringing Schroeder off the bench because he's a guy that can kind of create his his own offense, but can create for other guys and kind of be a all-around offensive player that, you know, you don't have to worry when Tatum and Brown go to the bench and you wonder where the scoring is coming from, you know. 
Um, or you can have Schroeder in the starting lineup and being able to create shots for Jalen and Jason and possibly you know, help them become more effective in bringing Smart off the bench. Because I, in my personal opinion, I think Marcus is best suited when he's coming off the bench to kind of give that team an energy spark uh, by coming in off the bench. But, you know, there are a number of different ways the Celtics, Celtics could play this. Um, you know, I think Robert Williams, would, I would expect that he starts. You know, I think could there be games where he and Al Horford start together if they're playing a bigger team? I think that's a possibility. Um, but I also think, you know, keeping Rob in there with the starters, you know, it gives them a really good defensive lineup. You know, if we're being perfectly honest, you know, I think if the Celtics roll out a a five-man unit of Schroeder, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Rob Williams, I mean, that's one of the best defensive fives in the NBA, you know, if you think about that. Um, and then you bring a guy like Josh Richardson off the bench. Um, and I think this team, you know, doesn't need to be full of all just players that are good on defense. You know, obviously you have Brown and Tatum, but you have a guy like Enos, Enos Cantor that you brought in that is an absolute beast on the offensive glass. You know, a guy who can kind of create his own offense, you know, is a guy that you can get the ball in the post to. Um, and he's, you know, really good at scoring on the interior. Leaves a little bit to be desired defensively, you know, as we know, but gives them kind of an added element of an interior scorer. Um, and Horford, you know, is kind of the same way too. Um, and I think, you know, segueing into the summer league, some of the young guys that are playing, you know, I think could be playing themselves into good roles off the bench next season. You know, if they continue to produce offensively, um, you know, we're seeing Peyton Pritchard in the summer league being very comfortable as a playmaker, you know, had nine assists last night, had 12 the other night, almost had a triple double the other night. Um, but I think, you know, seeing his development is great, you know, and I think that it's, in my opinion, it's to be expected that the Celtics are one of the best teams at Summer League because you think about the amount of NBA experience they have on this team. You know, you think about Bruno Fernando, who's been in the league for two years. You know, Neesmith and Pritchard had a full rookie year behind them. They have Romeo Langford, who's been in the league a few years. So the experience that they have, you know, kind of trumps a lot of other teams. But it's still good to see them play playing well with the reps, you know, Peyton is knocking down a lot of threes and, you know, hopefully takes another step in his development. And we're seeing Aaron Neesmith taking another step in his development, you know, becoming a really good knockdown shooter, but also be a guy that can be aggressive and take it to the basket. You know, I know that it's, it's summer league and I know that we shouldn't overreact to, you know, players having crazy games or making crazy plays. But one of the things, the biggest thing for me with Neesmith was, you watch that first game against the Hawks, he shoots very poorly. He shot one for seven, one for eight, you know, from three. And, you know, comes back the next game and shoots the lights out. Makes seven threes, makes, or, you know, scores 33 points. And, you know, the biggest thing for me is the confidence and the confidence to, you know, keep shooting. That, okay, I may have had a poor game the last game, but I'm going to keep going. And I think the interesting thing the other night was him, you know, taking shots in kind of a moving motion. So not, you know, 
catching and shooting after like standing still. So, you know, getting the ball on the catch and then moving and shooting. I think that, you know, one of the biggest things in the NBA is if you can, you know, catch and shoot like in transition type of plays. Um, And I think that, you know, he looked really good doing that. Um, So had 33 points the other night. Last night had... um, had a, had a measly 18 points, uh, but also had nine rebounds and four assists. So, you know, I think that we don't want to get overexcited in terms of what guys are doing with their production. But I think the biggest thing is just noticing that guys are comfortable. And I think that Pritchard and Neesmith have been really comfortable. You know, Sam Hauser, the Celtics two-way player that they signed a couple weeks ago, he looked really comfortable, made six threes last night. And you know, he's not going to be getting 26 minutes a night on the Celtics. You know, he'll probably be lucky if he plays 26 games this season. Um, but I think at least you're just seeing guys who look comfortable. You know, and even even the pick, the draft picks, um, Beggarin, the uh, French player the uh, Celtics drafted in the second round this year, has played a good amount. He's looked fairly comfortable. Yeah, Madar had six points last night, was really solid in that first game. Um and, you know, they look comfortable. Not that, you know, we'll probably see them in Boston in the next year or two, but at least they look comfortable in, you know, quasi-NBA basketball. It's not, you know, real NBA basketball. You know, it is summer league, but, you know, you're seeing a lot of young guys look comfortable. You know, Langford looks so comfortable and so confident. Didn't play last night for rest, I believe. Um, but you saw it in that dunk. You know, I... <laughs> Uh, you know, retweeted that on, on Twitter the other day. You saw that dunk, and, you know, that's a guy who's really confident. You know, and something that I was saying to one of my friends the other day is, or my friend may have said this to me, is that you want to have confidence in the young guys coming off the bench, or you want the young guys to have confidence coming off the bench. You know, you don't want them coming in kind of not really sure what they're doing exactly or learning the NBA game. You want guys that are coming in that are confident, you know, and yeah, sometimes it leads to mistakes, but you want guys to be decisive, and I think that that's the biggest thing. Um, and Pritchard's been great to watch. Neesmith's been fun to watch. Uh, Langford, you know, obviously has been fun to watch. So the Celtics dominating the Magic last night in Summer League. Celtics shooting 43% from three. They knocked down 19 threes. Hauser, six threes. Pritchard with four. Uh, Diedrich Lawson, the former... Um, Kansas standout had three threes last night. Um, so the Celtics have their next preseason, or next um, summer league game, I believe, tomorrow. If I can just get the quick schedule on that. Help you guys out a little bit for your viewing pleasure. Celtics were on ESPN2 last night. Just do a quick look at where or when they're playing on Saturday. Celtics will play the 76ers at 5 o'clock. Not sure about the uh, TV broadcast for that one, but you can definitely check that out. I'm assuming it would be on the ESPN app um, or on NBC Sports Boston. I don't believe it was on NBC Sports Boston last night. So I think before we move on, we can talk a little bit about the NBA, just some stuff rolling in. Uh, Jalen Suggs had to exit 
the Celtics Magic game last night with a hand injury. Um, it sounds like the Rockets are possibly shutting down Jalen Green for the rest of Summer League with a sore hamstring. Uh, Giannis's brother, Thanasis, agrees to a deal with the Bucks for two years. And then the big news, the Clippers and Kawhi Leonard agreeing on a max contract that will pay him roughly $44 million a year for the next three years. And then he has a player option after that. So, you know, obviously there was a lot of conversation at various points about Kawhi Leonard and his free agency. And, oh, you know, where is he going to go? Is he going to go to Miami? Is he going to go to New York? You know, but ultimately he stayed. I think that Paul George and his performance in the playoffs has a lot to do with that. Um, you know, I think that as much as the Clippers just kind of ran out of steam against the Suns in the conference finals, you know, Paul George performing the way he did in the playoffs, getting the Clippers to that point, you know, I think ultimately may have kept Kawhi in Los Angeles to see that, okay, here's how good our team can be, you know, without me, you know, and hopefully he can come back at full strength and he can lead that team beyond the conference finals. So, you know, I think that that is an interesting move, big move for the Clippers as they kind of maintain their, you know, probably maintain somewhat of their standing in the Western Conference. But obviously the Lakers are going to be a team that are going to be, you know, somewhat tough to beat. The Lakers bringing in a lot of vets. Dwight Howard returning. Obviously they brought back, brought in Carmelo Anthony. And then, of course, Russell Westbrook. So, you know, the Lakers will be an interesting team to follow. Um, kind of be interesting to see how that team shakes out you know, with all, all the guys they have on that team. So Western Conference will definitely be a lot of fun to watch next season. There was some news yesterday. This is kind of cool. Uh, J.R. Smith is enrolling at North Carolina A&T and is wanting to play uh, collegiate golf. So that will definitely be a story to keep your eye on. It's kind of, kind of interesting. Um, the Nets are hiring Steve Clifford as a consultant, according to sources. So I think that... Probably, probably is it for the NBA. You know, up next is uh, talking about the, the the dreaded Red Sox, who just uh, really can't seem to get out of their own way. You know, we talked last week that you know hopefully they can turn things around with with some home games, but uh, wasn't exactly the case with uh, Tampa Bay. You know, the Red Sox losing three out of four to Toronto. You know, things are getting very bad there. Red Sox lost. You know, two out of three to Detroit prior to that. You know, and then lose two out of three to Tampa Bay. And, you know, it's... I'm not going to lie, you guys. It's it's hard to, you know, find find positives with this team right now. It's, um, you know, and I, and I said this last week that I think considering where... Considering where we thought they were going to be, you know, this is a pretty good season, but obviously like, you know, you don't want to have this record or like, I'm trying to figure out a way to say this that makes sense. But like, if you like told me the Red Sox were going to have this record at this point in the season, you know, I would tell you, oh, that's pretty good. You know, two games up, three games up on the Yankees for the second wild card. I'd be like, wow, you know, they're performing way better than I thought they would. You know, obviously, they've been playing horrible baseball. 
you know, over the last month or so. I think they're 12 and 19 in their last 31 games, and they've lost like 12 of 15, you know. But I think like even with this record, you'd be like, oh, okay, you know, they're playing pretty well. But, you know, obviously had a four or five game lead on Tampa Bay in first place about a month or so ago, you know, and that's totally vanished. You know, now they're now they are behind by five games. So, you know, it's kind of just gone from bad to worse. You know, the starting pitching had a lot of issues. You know, now recently the starting pitching has actually gotten better, but the Red Sox bullpen has blown a couple of games. Um, you know, Matt Barnes and that bullpen, they're really starting to come back down to earth, which is really just coming at a horrible time for this team. You know, when the offense has gone cold, the starting pitching you know, it's been very off and on in the last couple of weeks. Now they kind of seem like they're putting it together, but, you know, obviously that's irrelevant if you have a bullpen that just can't hold leads. You know, I mean, it's, and I mean, th- this will sound kind of strange, but you have a Red Sox offense that put up 20 runs on the board um, the other night. And, you know, that bullpen is so bad that, you know, you have a 20-1 to lead in the ninth inning. And Phillips Valdez gives up seven runs in the ninth inning. Red Sox win the game, obviously, 20-8, to because you're not going to score 19 runs in an inning. But it's like, that tells you right there that the bullpen's really just having a tough time. You had Matt Barnes lose a couple of games recently. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's just crazy. You know, you score 20 runs... You give up seven runs in an inning, and it's just like, you know, starting pitching is, is irrelevant if you have a bullpen that can't hold leads. And, you know, it's becoming very scary right now for the Red Sox in terms of, you know, really clinging to their lead in, you know, the playoff standing. So, you know, some, something needs to change, and it needs to change quickly. The Red Sox are playing a three-game set in Baltimore or in, excuse me, in Boston against Baltimore this weekend. We'll talk more about the schedule in a little bit. But, you know, if something really has to change, it has to change quickly for this team, you know, or they're going to be left in the dust. Um, you know, it was encouraging, you know, to see the offense break out for, for the 20 runs the other night. But, you know, typically, you know, kind of what happens is if you break out for a lot of runs one game, you come back the next game and you can't really do much about it. And, you know, the Red Sox had one run yesterday, you know, lose a game. Tanner Houck was, you know, cruising right along right until the sixth inning, gave up a couple hits, including the home run by Franco that hit the um, green monster and then bounced over the center field walls. One of the most bizarre home runs I think I've ever seen. And, you know, that's just a a microcosm of how bad things are going for the Red Sox right now. You know, uh, Alex Spire wrote it in an article in the paper this morning, you know, and said something to the effect of, like, when it rains, it pours, when it rains, when, like, like the rain is all coming from, from one cloud and then you get, like, struck by lightning or some, something something to that effect. Uh, but it's like, yeah, it's that's how bad it's gotten for this team that... You know, anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and it will go wrong in the most bizarre fashion. So, you know, yeah, you just got to hope that, you know, there's a little bit of a glimmer of hope from that 20-run game. But, you know, you come back and, and the bullpen has another really poor outing yesterday. 
you lose a game eight to one and you know you really had an opportunity in this race series to get a little closer you know in the division but you lose two out of three and you're kind of back where you started right before the 20 run game so you know hopefully the Red Sox can can do some damage on the the Baltimore Orioles this weekend but you know it's got to happen consistently and it's really got to start happening now you know if they're gonna if they're gonna turn things around you know you look at how many games they've played? They played 117. You know, you're 45 games. You're kind of running out of time to figure it out. So, you know, it'll be interesting what the Red Sox can do. But, you know, if, if there is a glimmer of hope, it's that, you know, help and reinforcements hopefully are on the way. Uh, Chris Sale will make his much-anticipated debut uh, this season for the Red Sox tomorrow against the Orioles. Uh, so that will be a big excitement. Hopefully it gives the Red Sox a, a, a big shot in the arm. Um, you know, his his rehab outings have gotten a lot of people excited. You know, he's been with the team the last couple of days, so it's just been great to see him, you know, just back with the team and back, you know, being uh, really kind of being a, a professional athlete again, you know, going through the, the Tommy John surgery, going through the the rehab, the pitching in, in spring training, pitching in Florida, you know, and now the rehab assignments in Portland and in Worcester. Um, I will just tell you, you know, and this is a, this is kind of a little separate from, you know, the performance, but, you know, the fact that Chris Sale, you know, chose to kind of be a part of the teams in, in Portland and in Worcester, you know, and wanted to be around the guys and wanted to, you know, help out some of the young guys and kind of be uh, someone that they can talk to. And I just really thought that that, you know, speaks a lot to Chris's character that, you know, he's not he's not bigger than the game. You know, he's not bigger. He doesn't act like he's bigger than himself, if that makes sense. You know, that he's willing to kind of give back, so to speak, and, you know, be there for the younger guys who need you know, probably need a little bit of guidance to, you know, being being a professional and, you know, going through the minor leagues. And, you know, for a lot of those guys, they're, they're in there for their whole career or, you know, they're in there for the majority of their career. They see Major League Baseball for maybe a, a short period, you know, and that's, that's the crazy thing about baseball is, you know, you see all these guys who, you know, are, are all-stars that make it to that make it make it to the big leagues and stay there. But for a lot of guys, you know, minor league baseball is is their peak. You know, and that's kind of it it just was great to see that Chris was not too big that he could, you know, be a part of the team and wanted to, you know, kind of get back. So that was good to see this uh Red Sox are also hoping that Kyle Schwarber uh, can return to the Red Sox sometime soon. I think that he is making some rehab starts in Worcester, so it seems like he he could return to the Red Sox at some point in the next week or so. Um, the Red Sox really need a big uh, a bit of a shot in the arm, so hopefully the two of them can come in and kind of turn things around. But you know, as I said, it's there are 45 games left. There's you know not a whole lot of time for the Red Sox to to turn this around, and I know that it's. Not the most dire situation. They still are a couple games up on the Yankees and the Blue Jays in the wild card race. It's a lot closer than I think we wanted it to be, but 
you know, considering all the losses that they've had, they're still in somewhat good position. You know, I know we want to talk about, oh, the the horrible collapse and, you know, this and that, but I think, like, could be worse. You know, the the team could be could be bad. You know, they could be in last place. They could be totally out of it. You know, I think some of us have taken their season for granted a little bit. That I think we we took their we took their record for granted. That okay, you know, they're going to be this good, and you know, they're not overachieving. And I don't mean to say this, but you're a moron if you thought that they weren't overachieving. You know, and this isn't to say that, like, oh, you should have thought that they would lose 12 of 15. You know, I didn't think that. But, you know, you had to figure at some point they were going to come down to earth. You know, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be this extreme, you know, that it was going to be to this level. But, you know, I think you have to believe that this team, you know, the way, you know, looking at this team top to bottom that, okay, you know, this team is going to be in first place and they're going to be unbelievable all year long. You know, it just it just never, baseball just never works like that. You know, yeah, I know you can say, oh, 2018, you know, they were won 108 games and, and, and all that, but you're never going to be an unbelievable team from start to finish. You know, you're going to go through tough stretches. You know, and I know that this is a lot more than a tough stretch. I'm not trying to say that, oh, you know, teams go through this, Stretches like this all the time. That's not to say that, but, you know, I think that there are still reasons to try to be positive, you know, and I think finding the positive and maybe the starting pitching that, you know, they're starting to maybe figure things out, you know, have an ERA of around three in the last six or seven games. So, you know, hopefully the the bullpen can, can figure it out, but you know, yeah, it's uh, not a particularly fun time to be a Red Sox fan, but, you know, with there is time. Time is kind of running out, but there still is a good amount of time. You know, you still have about a month plus, you know, before the, before the end of the season. So looking at the Red Sox schedule in the next coming weeks, uh, obviously a three-game set upcoming against the Orioles this weekend. Chris Sale makes his return tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon at 4:10. Nick Pavetta goes tonight, and then Nathan or uh, excuse me, Eduardo Rodriguez goes on Sunday. The Red Sox then will travel uh, for three games in New York starting Tuesday. Have a doubleheader against the Yankees, and then we'll play on on Wednesday night baseball on ESPN on Wednesday, and then they will play a three-game weekend series against the Texas Rangers, and then they will have a three-game series at home against Minnesota. So that's what it's looking like for the next uh, tw- 12 games for the Red Sox, three three-game sets. Um, and, you know, nine of these games are at home, so hopefully the Red Sox can create some, some home cooking a little bit and get back on track. So looking at the rest of of Major League Baseball, kind of just some things going around in the news. Chris Davis, the former Orioles slugger, uh, retiring after 13 years, uh, obviously had a tremendous season a number of years ago with 54 home runs, if I'm not mistaken, led Major League Baseball. Uh, That was kind of exciting, you know, and he was 
looking like he maybe was going to hit 60 home runs. You know, it's always pretty remarkable when players do things like that. But uh, happy trails, happy trails to Chris and his baseball career. Um, the Cubs releasing Jake Arrieta, um, obviously, you know, was a big part of their success in their World Series championship a number of years back, but has uh, really struggled this season. So the Cubs releasing him. And then the Field of Dreams game last night, or yesterday afternoon, in Iowa between the Yankees and the White Sox. Uh, honestly, one of the most entertaining games um, I, I've seen in a very long time. I watched some bits and pieces of it last night. Tim Anderson hitting the walk-off home run. Um, that was a really special experience. You know, I think that it's so cool that Major League Baseball was able to make that happen and, you know, put together a cool event that, you know, people remember that movie, Field of Dreams. You know, it's one of the best, if not the best, baseball movie ever made. Um, and people remember that movie so fondly, you know, and it's just is so cool that the NH or the MLB could could bring that to, to life and, you know, put that together and put a baseball game in the middle of a cornfield. You know, it was really cool. Um, I think that hopefully baseball can do more things like this. You know, I'm not sure what exactly you can do, but I think just making the game really kind of fun and interesting, you know, can only can only be a good thing. Um, and I think you want to see the players bring out some personality. You want to see cool events. You know, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Winter Classic um, in hockey, you know, bringing the game not out, not not bringing the game outside, or well, with NHL bringing the game outside, but like bringing bringing the sport back to kind of its roots of like playing in a baseball field in the middle of nowhere, you know, just kind of elements like that. And you know, speaking of players bringing personality to the game, you know, Tim Anderson hitting the walk off home run and uh, knowing that he had absolutely knew that he hit the ball out of the park. And, you know, flipping his bat and just kind of admiring it. And I got to be honest, I love that stuff. I think that baseball has been missing a lot of stuff like that in the last number of years. But it's good to see that you have guys like Anderson, guys like Fernando Tatis that, you know, make the game fun, make the game cool, make the game interesting. You know, and I know, you know, you have the old fuddy-duddies that, you know, hate seeing stuff like that, hate seeing players, you know, show some personality, but I just think it's a, it's great for the game. It's great for the, you know, younger generation of, of, of kids that, you know, a lot of people, including myself, kind of sometimes lose, lose the love of baseball at certain points, you know, in their life. But I think Major League Baseball doing events like this, you know, really can, can make it interesting. And just one last little note on this game. Uh, balls were flying out of there, out of there last night. Number of home runs, number of ones where you're like, okay, in any other normal ballpark that doesn't fly out of here. But uh, just a really neat, really neat visual, really neat event that Major League Baseball put together last night. And I hope, I hope they do that again. I really hope that this is not a one-time deal. I really hope that they go back and do, you know, something like that. Not saying that they have to absolutely do the Field of Dreams game every year, but, you know, doing something like that. You know, I think doing cool events to kind of make the game fun and interesting. So 
Uh, that's what we saw last night. We'll take a look at the standings. Things have gotten really, really backwards for the Red Sox as they are uh, five games out of first place at the moment. Tampa Bay, obviously, in first place. The Yankees and the Blue Jays are closing fast on the Red Sox um, in the wild card race. We'll take a look at that in a minute. Uh, but the Yankees, seven back of first. Blue Jays, seven and a half. In the Central, the White Sox have been red hot, or, well, more so that Cleveland and Detroit have not been playing well. Um, or, well, Cleveland's not been playing well. Detroit actually has won three straight and seven out of ten, but the White Sox still have a sizable lead, 11 and a half games up on Cleveland and Detroit in the West. The Oakland Athletics have gotten hot again, eight wins in their last 10, seven straight wins. They're just a game and a half back of first place Houston. So uh, Oakland kind of been a bit of a streaky team this year, obviously. At the beginning of the season, won like 11 or 12 in a row, but they are back and they are hot again and they are really close on the Astros' tail at the moment in the National League East the Mets have um, not not free fallen to the extent of the Red Sox but um, they have lost their first game first place lead to the Phillies they are a half game ahead of the Mets and then one game ahead of the Atlanta Braves who are uh, really starting to get hot at the right time so the National League East is you know very close even closer than the American League East in the Central, the Reds, or excuse me, the Brewers are significantly ahead of the Reds, um, eight games up on them. So the Brewers have continued to play good baseball. They've won four straight and seven out of ten. In the West, the Giants still on top of the Major League standings. They have a five-game lead on the Dodgers, and the Padres are nine games back. So if we take a quick look at the wild card standings in the American League, um, Oakland holds that first wild card position two games over the Red Sox who are currently in second and in line to play in the wild card game at the moment the Yankees are two games back Blue Jays two and a half and then Seattle is four and a half back in the National League the Dodgers are four games in in front in that first wild card position the Padres are in second with the Reds three and a half games back of the second wild card so that probably can do it for baseball. We'll move on to a little bit of Bruins stuff. There's not a whole lot of hockey stuff. And actually, before I forget, I do want to mention right before I started recording, the Florida Panthers have brought in Joe Thornton on a one-year deal. So Thornton obviously played for the Maple Leafs last season, will sign a deal and play in Florida, possibly his his last season. So um, interesting for Florida, they're start, starting to load up a little bit as they had um, traded for Sam Reinhart and signed, signed him to a new deal and now obviously bringing in Thornton. So uh, we'll get a little more on the rest of the NHL in a little bit. So some big news from the Bruins in the last couple of days. Obviously the Bruins had lost... Uh, Jay Pandolfo at or had lost assistant coach Jay Pandolfo um, earlier in the offseason, and then Jay Leach, obviously the head coach of the of the Providence Bruins, took a job with the Seattle Kraken. So the Bruins announced today that 
Uh, Chris Kelly has been named an assistant coach for the Bruins. Will join Bruce Cassidy on the bench this season. So that will be good to see. Chris Kelly um, has been a player development coordinator for the Bruins the last two seasons. I was also a development coach with Ottawa, in which that was where he started his NHL career. Chris Kelly, obviously a big member or a big part of the Bruins 2011 championship team. Um, So he will be an assistant coach. You know, good to see the Bruins, you know, bringing back, or not necessarily bringing back players from like glory days per se, but I think, you know, bringing back Chris Kelly, who, you know, is a guy that played and was a really solid player in his NHL career and just can kind of be a good kind of voice, a good voice on the bench, you know, give some perspective. You know, it's just interesting to note that, you know, obviously he was teammates with Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marsh, and on that championship team. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what, you know, he brings to the bench. The Bruins also hiring Adam McQuaid as their as a player development coordinator. So McQuaid obviously played majority of his NHL career with the Bruins. Played most recently in the NHL in 2018-19, 36 games with the Rangers, 14 with Columbus. So um, that is why you may have seen Adam McQuaid on the ice at uh, development camp as he, uh, you know, probably being around the team, you know, getting ready for for this new role. So again, Adam, a member of the 2011 championship team. So good stuff there. Um, And then the Bruins hiring Ryan Moganell, I believe that's how you pronounce it, as the head coach of the Providence Bruins. He has been an assistant coach for the last three seasons in Providence. So um, some experience behind the Providence bench. So uh, good stuff there. So, you know, not a whole lot of Bruin stuff on the ice necessarily, but uh, some news this morning. And then, obviously, a couple days ago, the Bruins announced that they have signed Fabian Lysel, their first-round draft pick, to his uh, three-year entry-level contract, which is the first contract that um, NHL players get. So... He signed a, a three-year deal, 925000 per year. So, you know, this means that this is a professional contract for, for Fabian, who will start his uh, hockey career in Providence. Possibly you see him in Boston. You know, I think that there's maybe a little bit of concern, you know, him being 18 and, you know, being kind of small, you know, playing in the AHL. It is a pretty physical league, um, maybe a little more so than the NHL. But I think it'll be good experience for him. You know, I think that it's, he's a guy that obviously is a high-end skilled guy, you know, first-round pick that the Bruins kind of, he kind of fell into their lap at 21. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what he can do in Providence. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you see him in Boston this season. You know, it's very interesting. He signed his ELC at the same time that David Pasternak did, and obviously, Pasternak played 46 games with the Bruins his rookie season um, and scored 10 goals. So, you know, I don't know if that's the same thing for Fabian. I don't know if you want to expect the same thing from him, but I think it is just good to see that he's willing to sign. And, you know, we get to see him in North America, the guy 
um, first John Pickborn in 2003. Boy, does that make me feel old. Um, but it'll be good to see, you know, good for him to get some experience of playing professionally. Uh, possibly, maybe you see him at, at Bruins training camp. You know, I would think that, that, that you would. Um, so, you know, I think be curious to see what he can bring. I don't, I don't think it's fair to expect that he'll, you know, make the Bruins roster or he'll even play in Boston this year. Um, I think that it's safe to assume though, that he'll get a good amount of playing time in, in Providence. Um, I do believe that if he doesn't play like, I think it's something like 10 or 12 games, like, if he doesn't play that many games, then the ELC will carry over to next season. I think some people may have some concerns that, oh, they're burning a year of his contract. But I think if he plays a certain amount of games, it, like, rolls over to next season. So, you know, and that's, I think, at the NHL level. I don't think that that's at the AHL level. So i uh, be curious to see what, what he can do. Um, a right winger, the Bruins definitely in need of some you know, scoring in the pipeline. I thought the Bruins did a really good job uh, drafting this season. And, you know, at development camp, I thought that some of the Bruins picks from last year looked pretty good. You know, Mason Lorai, Mason Langenbrunner looked pretty solid. Um, so I think the Bruins have a couple of guys that I think you should be excited about. And, you know, maybe you see a couple of them at the Bruins training camp um, in September, assuming that that happens and is open to the public. So, other NHL news, uh, longtime NHL goaltender Tony Esposito passed away the other day, uh, most remembered as a goalie for the Blackhawks, is one of the most uh, well-known goalies in, in NHL history, so um, thoughts and prayers to, to his family. Um, Jacob Vrana signing a new contract with the Red Wings, he was traded there in the offseason, uh, Neil Pionk and Andrew Kopp signing with uh, signing contracts with the Jets to avoid arbitration hearings. So not a whole lot of NHL stuff going on. You know, training camps will will open in probably about a month or so. Um, obviously, you still have a number of key free agents that are not key free agents, but like big name free agents that you know maybe aren't necessarily big time players anymore, but. You know, guys like Zach Parise, uh, Devin Dubnik, Chara, um, and then Joe Thornton until, you know, moments ago when he signed with Florida. So um, I really like that for Florida. You know, I think that they're a team that are in a position that they're going to be really good for the next few years and really going to be a team that's going to compete. You know, obviously, Joe Quinville, great coach, one of the all-time coaches, um, bringing in a guy like Joe Thornton who, you know, really kind of trying to give it one last go to try to win a cup. Um, but I'll tell you, Florida is going to be a tough out for the Bruins this year. Uh, you look at their, you look at what their division looks like, you know, obviously going back to the typical divisions, you know, you have Montreal made the cup final last year, Tampa Bay, who won it all. Toronto is obviously no picnic. And then you have uh, Detroit, who honestly, I think is much improved. Um, and then you have Florida. So you have a, you have a pretty tough division to get through uh, if, if you're the Bruins this year. So uh, keep you posted on any other Bruins notes. Um, I would assume that someone like Jake DeBrusque is still going to be with the team. You know, I think that the time to trade him probably is past. 
but but who knows? You know, you could see him get traded in training camp or maybe early in the season. You know, that will be something to keep your eye on. So that probably does it for the NHL. We'll move on to a couple of small things before I let you guys go. Um, college football preseason rankings came out uh, recently, the coaches poll, not the AP poll. I think the preseason AP poll will probably come in at some point in the next few weeks. Um, so Alabama on top, followed by Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Georgia, those teams in the top five. I'm curious to see if that changes at all with AP voting. Um, so college football getting going in a couple of weeks. Uh, Clemson and Georgia kind of highlight that first week of games. Um, Alabama will play the University of Miami, who is 16th in the preseason poll. Uh, we'll go through the rest of it for you guys, 6 through 10. Texas A&M, who made the uh, Final Four last year. Uh, Notre Dame, who also made it um, at 7. Iowa State at 8. North Carolina at 9. Cincinnati at 10. And then you have some couple of SEC teams in 11 through 15. Florida at 11. Oregon 12, LSU 13, USC 14, Wisconsin 15, Miami 16, as you mentioned, Indiana at 17, Iowa at 18, Texas at 19, and then in the 20s, you have Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma State, uh, Louisiana, Coastal Carolina, and Ole Miss. So uh, it is worth noting that, you know, Alabama, or excuse me, Oklahoma and um, Texas will be joining the SEC in a couple of years. Um, you know, obviously it sent college football into a bit of a tizzy, you know, with two of the kind of biggest teams in the country joining the biggest conference or, well, I don't want to say biggest conference because it's not like the largest in terms of number. Well, actually it might be at this point, but, you know, kind of joining the most premier um, conference. So, you know, that, that will be interesting. You know, I think it'll make... Things a lot more interesting with with possible realignment down the road. Um, so that's it. You know, we'll probably get back to you guys in a few weeks on college football. You know, the AP poll comes out, and then we'll preview some of the uh, games each week. Week one is, you know, like Labor Day weekend, so that's coming up pretty quickly, uh, believe it or not. So. Before I let you guys go, there's some Revolution updates to get to. Uh, Carlos Heel will be out for a few weeks with a uh, sports hernia, I believe. Um, he is in Spain getting treatment. You know, he went to Spain to get treatment uh, during last season when he was uh, had that Achilles injury and came back, you know, pretty quickly. So um, he'll be he'll be out a couple weeks, you know, but I think he'll he'll be back soon enough and. Obviously, the Revolution have been pretty good without him, uh, with a tie against Nashville, um, and then the win against Philadelphia last weekend. Revs getting goals from Gustavo Bo and Matt Polster, who scored his first goal since joining the Revolution. Matt Turner is back and has been playing, picking up you know right where he left off from the Gold Cup, and the Revolution have consolidated their power as the top team in Major League Soccer, four points up on Seattle, who is the top team in the West, with 36 points. So the Revolution, 
you know, just continuing to, to hum along with 40 points. And um, it's just been great to see the the energy that, that this team has. You know, I think that bringing in, you know, Bruce Arena has just worked wonders for this team and put them in position to possibly win their first MLS Cup championship. Now, I know that there's a lot of season to go. They're, you know, about roughly halfway through the season at this point. Um, but it's just, it's good to see them getting some recognition and, you know, giving New England kind of just some more sports energy and kind of feeling that maybe we could see another championship team, not that we need any more, but um, it's just great to see that they have a really good team, you know, and are not a team that, you know, people don't don't take seriously. You know, there this is a team that the organization has put a lot of faith into, you know, with bringing in Bruce Arena, with bringing in players like Gustavo Bo and Carlos Heel and Adam Buxa, you know, bringing them in, taking the designated players seriously, you know, being serious about spending money and, you know, building a state-of-the-art, you know, training facility and possibly building a, a stadium in the near future. You know, it's just kind of amazing to see the, the transformation of this team from a few years ago when they just were kind of, just kind of average, not really going anywhere. So it's just good to see Revolution will play their next game tomorrow at 8 o'clock in Toronto as they take on Toronto FC. FC beat them a couple of weeks ago um, in kind of an ugly game, so hopefully the Revolution could get a little bit of revenge for that one. So feel free to tune into that one, 8 8 o'clock tomorrow night on Channel 3, I believe, if you're Verizon Fios, man, like myself. I think it's my TV 38 is the channel. Um, so you can feel free to watch them. Celtics uh, Summer League tomorrow at 5. And then the Red Sox, a game tonight against the Orioles. And then Chris Sales return tomorrow afternoon. So um, go enjoy that, everyone. Stay cool, you know. Do not go outside unless you absolutely have to because it's ridiculously hot. Um, So everyone be safe. You know, speaking of being safe, everyone, you know, go go get vaccinated, you know, wear a mask, do all those things. Um, And everyone enjoy enjoy your weekend. Um, Sorry to say I won't be with you guys next week. So I will talk to you guys again in two weeks. Um, but as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Talk to you next time, everyone.